A quick disclaimer before we get into the review. The following film was produced by a struck company within the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. This review is not paid, nor will I accept paid promo work during the current Writers Guild of America strike and Screen Actors Guild strike. For more information on the strike and how you can show your solidarity, check out the show notes below. I stand in solidarity with SAG-AFTRA and WGA. Artists deserve their credit, both financial and contributory. Back to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. I am Avery, your Queerfully Fearfully host. If you're just joining us, welcome back to Camp Unbound and Rewound. Last week, our campfire story was won by Riley Sager, and I have a lot of opinions on that one. Of course, phones aren't allowed at camp, but I'll allow it if you need to catch up. That episode is live and waiting for your ears. We're in the third week of summer camp, but the frights have only just begun. Does everyone have their roasting sticks and hot dogs? We're joined by tonight's fire with a very special guest from across the pond. But before we introduce them, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. All right. And for the much anticipated part of this episode, Gary and Chris, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yes, we are the Horror Court Trash Over podcast, a weekly film discussion podcast where we analyze masterpieces and trash to pieces uh, across genre cinema with an additional original versus remake episode thrown in uh, at the end of every month. Yeah, I was just listening to your old uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 episode because I did one in, in June as well at the very end. And I was having so much fun. And I loved um, how you brought on Nightmare on, Phil's, on um, Fear Street. Yeah. The, one, of the, one of the hosts for that. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, we loved your episode as well. And it's good to know we agreed on a lot of things uh, that yeah. that film. But also a lot of things that's there to be enjoyed still, you know? It's, it's nice that someone else appreciates it on the same level as us. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh my gosh. I love that movie and I can't believe that it was hated on for so many years if you're not a book fan that is okay but i know you're a movie fan and a tv show fan so uh what are you currently streaming or watching you have been reading recently right yes i have i am one of those um self-confessed book hoarders okay i love buying books and i desperately try and find the time to read the books that i've read Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a very full bookcase, and I'm just reading uh, Tales of the City by Armistice uh, Mopin. Yeah. How you pronounce it. So I started that in Pride Month. It's an LGBTQ plus novel, and uh, really enjoying it. Fantastic. It's a bit like a precursor to Sex in the City. Ooh. Are you typically, what kind of genre do you go for when you're reading? Um, I like... I like American literature from the sort of seventies and eighties. Ah. Um, more of a period rather than a sort of um, genre. So yeah. I read horror and thriller and sort of romance, but it, it tends to be uh, I like American literature. Okay, and then 
what have you also been watching? I, there, I feel like there's been a lot of new shows to come out recently. Some new movies. Yeah, so we've been uh, catching up with the Mission Impossible films for the new one. Uh... Everyone says how great they are, but we hadn't watched them until recently. No. And that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and for TV shows... We tend to mostly keep up to date with Real Housewives and Drag Race. And yes. Of course. And just like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I absolutely love that show. I'm I'm a little behind on it, I will admit, but I I love Sex in the City. So when I knew that they were coming out um with the reboot, I was excited. Except for the fact that Samantha's not on it. Yes. That's a heartbreak. Mm. All right. Well, so you already kind of talked about what kind of genre or period of book you like to read. Um, But with movies or shows, if there is a genre that you just could not live without, what would that be? I think for me, I would definitely say horror. Uh, As much as we watch like Mm. every genre possible. uh, Horror is the one for me that I definitely grew up with and definitely fueled my uh, love for films and a lot of my rewatches and stuff tend to usually be in that genre so what, would you say it's the same for you or yeah not? absolutely I think horror encompasses so much of what I enjoy about film because it can be elevated horror as they like to call it and it can mm-hmm. also be campy and silly and stupid it can also be romantic if if that kind of weird person who <laughs> finds romance in horror like we do. Um, I think it encompasses so much of what I love about film that it, it would be horror. Yeah. Uh, what I'm always interested to learn, um, I guess, what drew you to horror and what continues to draw you to horror, which you touched on a little bit, but... If you can think back to you being being a wee thing, a child, um, what do you think it was about horror that you just it just kind of grasped your attention and you stuck with it all this time? I'd say it's definitely that whole factor of something you shouldn't be watching, uh, mm-hmm. and it just being satisfying to be watching that, and that just that sense of danger that horror films are supposed to be scary, and you know you uh, when you're a child and you sit through a horror film and you know you manage to make it all the way through without turning it off then it's it's some sort of accomplishment but i would definitely say uh my parents were big horror fans as well so that definitely drew me a lot to it because it was in my surroundings a lot when i was younger and uh, i was just very intrigued by it all i think for me with horror there's a sense of the camp and the over the top that I really enjoy in cinema and you know the big gory death scenes I really enjoyed the sort of horror films from the 80s when I was younger it was very over the top very silly very campy and that's kind of what got me into it as a child because growing up I now appreciate slower paced films but when I was young I liked to be entertained I didn't I didn't want to watch the boring films so horror was all of that for me because it was just entertainment from start to finish. Yeah, definitely. I <laughs> I think it's a little what would it be? Um sadistic to say that I 
loved to be I loved the fact that I couldn't go to bed after I watched a movie and it just made life so much more exciting um and I think one of the first movies I watched might have been it was definitely Halloween that was one of the first ones but Chucky was like child's play was the one that got me I couldn't watch that movie without having nightmares and seeing him standing across my room but to think that I grew up all these years later and I love, I love Child's Play, love Don Mancini, like, wow, what a, what a brilliant mind. <laughs> so we are here to talk about some campy horror, both summer camp and camp. Um, we have a queer slasher and I feel like I am joined by possibly the best people to talk about this with. Okay, we are talking about They Slash Them. It is on Peacock right now. It was directed by John Logan, who it was his directorial debut as well. And it was produced by Jason Blum. It stars Theo Germain, Anna Klumski, and Kevin Bacon. Some of those names you might be familiar with if you were a fan of 80s movies, 90s movies. Um, a little bit about this movie is that it is run by Owen Whistler and designed to appear like a typical summer camp. Whistler disarms the campers with an oddly warm, inclusionary, and unthreatening welcome before unleashing his and his family's violent and discriminatory torture. The group must rely on each other to survive the abuse they're faced with. And to make matters worse, there's a slashing threat stalking the camp. It premiered at Out Festival at Out Film Festival on July 24th of 2022, and then it was released on Peacock about a month later. It received mixed reviews from critics, while the film stars an inclusive cast and subject matter. The execution was underwhelming. And something about this movie, I always love to look at, at just the production of a movie and how it was it was meant to be made and then it completely changed in the production process um it was originally titled whistler camp but it became untitled in september of 2021 as more actors joined the cast the title was changed to rejoice before settling on they slash them it was always going to be a queer horror story surrounding a conversion camp the Pray Away documentary actually inspired Jason Blum to buy into this project. So I know the title, They Slash Them, I remember seeing it online before it even came out and thinking, um, I don't know about this, willing to give it a try, but I'm not sure. So what were your initial thoughts when you first heard about this movie um, and then as you were going into watching it? Yeah, so I mean, when I when I read the title and when I watched the initial trailer, I was de I was definitely intrigued just because of the idea mm -hmm. of a summer camp slasher film where uh, the cast is predominantly LGBTQ plus people. You know, I obviously I am always championing new slasher films and especially new queer slasher films. You know, I think we need as many as possible. So I was excited, and with it being Blumhouse as well, I. I think I enjoy more Blumhouse than I dislike Blumhouse. So, but I do find that for every good Blumhouse film, there is always a bad film. And I can't remember what was released near this, but I was still, I was very intrigued uh, at first. 
Yeah, I think the inclusion for me of Kevin Bacon yeah. kind of legitimized it. But oh, Kevin Bacon, mm. you know, in a queer slasher film, this is what I've been looking for. This is completely our kind of thing, yeah. of our street. It's what we've been crying out for mm. is more inclusive horror films. And we watched the trailer and it, it, it piqued my interest. Did the Blumhouse definitely added to that? I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm intrigued now. And then the reviews. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't really like to pay attention to reviews because I feel like they can be, sorry, my dog is all over the place. Um, I, I think reviews can be misleading. I think sometimes the wrong people are watching the movies um, and they're not seeing it. Kind of like how when we were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street too, like a lot of the people watching it and reviewing it were straight cis people. So they don't see it through the kind of lens that they, that I believe they should. So I was still willing to give it a try. Um, I was intrigued by the title, like you all were saying, because they slash them, that could literally mean anything. And with Kevin Bacon in it, I didn't even know Anna Komsky was in it either until I was watching it. And I said, oh my gosh, wow. And as a fan of my girl, I was excited to see what she was going to give us. Um, and so... Do you feel like your expectations were met as you were wrapping up the movie, as you were watching it? Yeah. So, I mean, as, as you were saying, you know, sometimes when people review films, it is a certain demographic that reviews those films. And I tend to um, pay less attention to reviews surrounding more diverse films because usually it's IMDb and it's a bunch of straight cis white men who are, just reviewing it because they're annoyed that it exists and putting it down just for that reason. They probably haven't even watched the film. You know, I've seen plenty of reviews that have described things that have happened in films where it's like, eh, that does not happen. You did not watch this. Um, but so, you know, I went in with those expectations because we put off watching it for a, a, quite a long time because it wasn't just the usual crowd that were giving it bad reviews. Like it was people we usually trust giving it bad reviews. Like, oh, okay. But these are people within the community saying, that th this is a bad film so i feel like my expectations were already low um mm -hmm. those expectations were met <laughs> uh yeah it's it's yeah those expectations were definitely met for me those low ones uh and it's frustrating because i can see a very good film hidden in here somewhere um but, but sadly it did live up to the bad reviews for me yeah we were definitely reluctant to check it out um yeah. firstly because we don't get peacock over here yeah um <sighs> so what we had to do uh and don't worry i won't be sending you an invoice we did have, <laughs> <laughs> we did have to pay for it to buy on on amazon because that's the only way that we get it here in the uk because uh, we don't we don't get peacock um, oh, so... I am so sorry <laughs> about that. Can we get refunds? <laughs> <laughs> I I'll talk to my to my publicist. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I definitely, I, I I try not to go into movies with low expectations because I just I really do want to give it an opportunity. 
Um, and I think with it being a Blumhouse movie, I did, I had higher expectations than it being a movie from like an indie house. Not saying all indie house movies are low budget and bad, but, um, Blumhouse has a very big backing on it and Kevin Bacon, it's like, surely he wouldn't sign on to a movie that's, you know, that'd be completely below grade. Um, so I, I went into it with a, with a reasonable amount of expectation. I, I think my biggest thing was that I wanted that, um, I wanted to see representation that wasn't harmful. Um, I wanted to see, see a, a little bit of a flip in terms of what we've seen for queer horror in the past. And I, I, I don't know if I can accurately say that that is what I got. Uh, so I, I feel like we should just stop beating around the bush, just get straight into it. And before we do that, this is everyone's official warning that if you have not seen this movie yet and you do not like spoilers, this would be the time to click off. Of course, we will keep your seat warm, your snacks warm, your nightlight on for when you return. And we are excited for you to return to us. But if you're one of those people who don't care about spoilers, maybe you don't even care about seeing this movie. You just want to support us. By all means, so glad to have you here. And I'm excited to get into this conversation. So as I was saying previously, I was really excited to see how... Uh, the representation was amongst the cast, but also within the characters and just the narrative in general. And so I think one theme within this movie was community, as that is a large part of the LGBTQIA plus community. It's like that's that's our whole thing, because oftentimes we are kind of put in situations to find our own community where, you know, we may be forced out of one. Um, and so as you were watching this, how do you feel like it interacted with that theme? I, I appreciated what it was going for and creating a community within the campus. Yeah. Is that the word I want? Campus? Mm -hmm. well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, camping in this way isn't a big thing in the UK. No. <laughs> so we don't have summer camps. It tends to be sort of um, scouting in that, in that sense. So uh, it's not a big thing here in the yeah. UK, camping. <laughs> Mainly because of the weather. <laughs> but I, I appreciated that there was a sense of community between them. Um, I did feel like the film felt it needed to tick a lot of boxes. Mm. So it felt like because it wanted to be broad within its spectrum of the LGBTQI plus community that nobody really got their individual story mm. so that we could really get a sense of who they were. And I felt like that hampered a lot of the community feeling. They didn't know who any of the characters really truly were apart from their position within the LGBTQ plus community, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, because mm -hmm. for me, it kind of felt like they said what they identified as, and then the filmmakers kind of felt like that was their character development done. And then, of course, we had the little right. meet where everyone got to know each other at the beginning. 
Um, but even that was very vague, and nothing was really built on that. It was just we know what they identify as. We automatically we should know the characters, um, and yeah. So it kind of I think scenes like the sing along uh, to the Pink song. I feel like that was them trying to really say, look, we're, we're building a community here. Look, we're showing you it, so that's it. But yeah. without really doing anything with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I, adding on to what you were saying, you know, they, they gave the audience what they identify as. Um, you know, you have Jordan as non-binary. You have Alexandra as a trans woman. And I feel like in doing that and not delving deeper, now you just have these kind of like archetypes more so than anything like a um like a mold to just kind of fill in the blank and you have the scene where it's the very first scene they're sitting around each other in the circle and they're kind of saying like why they're there and i feel like even in in that scene most of every single person's answer is i made a deal with my parents i made a deal with my parents and that doesn't even really give you what you really need to understand where these characters are coming from and by the end, how their character arc has truly formed. Um, I did, I think the pink scene was corny and it was really hard to watch, I'll say, but I do think um, it was, I, I saw it as a sweet moment to watch um, as certain people dropped their guards, you ha- I don't remember his name, but you had like the football player, you know, like character um, who the entire time he's just so against everyone and everything like he I think he's one of the ones who chose to be there, maybe because um, he doesn't wish to be gay. And so then in that moment, you see him completely surrender and and finally almost kind of accept this is his community, these are his people, these are people he can feel comfortable around. And when you compare that to the skincare scene where they're like in the cabin for the first time and they're putting the lotion on their skin and stuff and he's just like, ugh, like, you know, it's almost like he's calling everyone slurs at that moment. It's like, you see that kind of difference. And I think potentially maybe he was one of the only characters who had a true, a true solid arc in the movie. Yeah, definitely. But are we not past the idea that moisturizing is inherently feminine? Right. <laughs> are we are we not now at the point where you know, if it was makeup, I could I could understand if it was, you know, if they were trying on lipsticks mm-hmm. and fake eyelashes, I, I could understand that part. The, the whole mask for mask thing is still very prominent mm-hmm. within the queer community. But are we not past moisturizing are we not all just moisturizing now it's okay like, it's it's okay we all should be moisturized skin health should have no gender at all and yet <laughs> i do i i talk about this a lot in terms of um when you have people writing like writing a story writing a film and producing that film if they do not identify with the community that they're representing or the identity that they're representing you really do have to take into account their intentions and and kind of like, I guess, their vetting process when they're writing this story. Um, and so I, I always feel like 
if you are a white person producing writing a story about a black person or you're a straight cis person writing a story about a queer maybe trans person non-binary person then i feel like there needs to be some kind of some sort of quality assurance process to ensure that you are accurately representing certain things like this because the the lotion scene I was like, I get what it's trying to do, but this is a very like 2000s viewpoint of of like queer bonding. I don't know. I I definitely see what you all are saying. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it encompasses everything that I kind of disliked about the film is the director's, um, not to sound ageist, but I think his age and the fact that he mm-hmm. has sole credit as screenwriter really created a lot of the issues that I had because it's very much from one viewpoint. And I appreciate that it's trying to encompass a lot of um, queer community w- within the film. But it, it's, for me, the, the fact that the theater gay, because it had to be a theater gay character was wearing a chorus line t-shirt and I thought, would a theatre geek in the year 2022 wear a chorus line t-shirt? Surely it would have been wicked or, <laughs> you know, uh, something more modern. And I think it aged the film yeah. a lot. And I, I was very aware of the fact that the writer-director was a lot older than the characters that he had written. And I think he could have brought in some other voices within the creation of the film and spoken to, and I I don't know, he may have, but uh, if if he did, they didn't get any screenwriting credit, unfortunately, but brought people in and spoken to the cast as well and said, well, do you think that this character would be wearing a chorus line t-shirt. Do you think that this character in 2022 would have such an issue with mm-hmm. moisturizing? Just those conversations that could have been had on set, I think would have right. really helped. And I, in that um, same kind of context, when Kevin Bacon's character um, is sitting in the circle and they're talking about you know their reasons for being there and stuff, and that same character is like, yeah, I made a deal with my parents because if I can make it a week here, then they'll send me to France to see Moulin Rouge. And I mean, I'm so happy for you that you'll get to see that. But then like Kevin Bacon chimes in and is talking about like, you know, all these different shows that he's seen and how he's so um, adverse in in theater and musical theater. And that character's like, queen. And I was, I sat here and I said, <laughs> I, I personally don't think that that was the right, that was the right phrasing to use. Maybe if it was 2015, no. maybe. Um, and also I don't, you wouldn't, per, I don't think you would call a straight cis man who watches musical theater a queen, but that's just no. me. <laughs> I, so yeah, I, I definitely, there were moments of that I never considered the the age thing i mean and it, it, i don't think it's an ageist remark either i think it's very valid because 
maybe the last time that the writer or producer of this film was like more in depth into like a certain community like online you know they were on queer spaces online or whatever the case was they were seeing these conversations take place maybe that was 2015 and maybe they thought that that's that is how queer people talk yeah i feel like we just went sh- we we came straight into this just <laughs> <laughs> att- like ready to attack and i'm loving the energy um, but on that note i do think there are some positive things in in the ways that they try to interact with this theme of community um narratively more specifically so like jordan who is kind of like our protagonist of this story um does not hesitate to stick up for alexandra who's a trans woman when the camp director forces her to wear boys clothes it's almost like in any situation that jordan sees themselves or someone else at this camp being discriminated against or forced to go against the way that they identify jordan is always willing to go up to bat and and be kind of that voice or that that fighter for everyone and i think that that does speak a lot to different people within the queer community and how i mean all throughout history like that's just how we have been we've stuck up for each other we've supported yeah you have you have gay men and you have lesbians and and you have non-binary people and trans people but nine times out of ten everybody's going to come together when one community is hurting or when another community is hurting so i thought that was a nice that was nice to to see out of jordan's character yeah i completely agree yeah It, it it is you know I feel like within the the queer community, there's there's always a fight or a struggle going on, and the the you know what used to be gay marriage, and I'm speaking here in the UK mainly. Um, I know there's issues in America at the moment, um, but for us here, it was gay marriage, yeah. and, and now it's trans rights, and yeah. we all have to realize that we are a community and we are working towards same goal for everyone and i did appreciate yeah. how they did that within the film I, I i did appreciate that and the intention was good and i i feel a little guilty bashing the film too much because <laughs> i is... do feel like that intent mm-hmm. was there yeah this is exactly what i was going to say i feel like this entire film is made with good intentions um it's the uh, execution because i feel like there's definitely a lot of chances in the film industry for someone to be like, oh, okay, do you know what's topical right mm-hmm. now? Uh, queer issues, and let's make a film on it, let's cash in on it, you know, let's not put any thought whatsoever. But this doesn't do that, and I really feel like there was a lot of thought put in there, but it's yes. just the way it goes about it where it sadly fails. I think throughout history, particularly in film, which is our expertise, the story of the um, white gay man has always been central within queer stories, on, particularly on film. And I think a film like this tries to incorporate a multifaceted community and a reminder that it isn't that our story isn't just the white gay man. 
it's all-encompassing and it should be all-encompassing yeah definitely and i'm i do think um the cast specifically is very diverse um both in racial identity but also gender identity and sexual and sexual identity as well and that was nice to see especially when horror horror does i don't want to say horror likes to exclude but horror has a history of excluding certain marginalized identities it's like sometimes it feels like okay we have a gay film but there are no people of color in this gay film or we have this just like straight non-identified you know horror film but there are no gay people in this film and so it was nice to kind of feel like there is a movie um no matter how how some may feel about it there is a movie that black queer kids can watch asian queer kids can watch um hispanic queer kids can watch and feel like there is a character that kind of represents them in a way um and that you know that's what a lot of critics did talk about or, or speak to was the fact that that you do have this diverse cast but like you were saying the execution was just kind of falling off a little bit yeah. another kind of um sense of community thing i guess as as it pertains to age more than anything is once you watch the movie and you think back to just how the movie played out molly the nurse her empathy for the campers makes so much more sense and i of course like when you do talk about queer history you talk about all of the kind of older queer people who were in Stonewall or who suffered the kind of brunt of the negative side effects of history. And so I think like having Molly kind of almost stand in for that, for that role in a way um, was nice to see because her empathy towards Alexandra, for example, made so much sense. It's like, because she understands she saw it firsthand um, and so I liked, I liked that twist, I think. I didn't really see it coming. Yeah, I I did appreciate that. I like a good twist. and I, I didn't see it coming, but it raises a lot of questions on whether choosing her to be the homicidal maniac is good representation or bad representation? Mm. Whose side are you on? When I first discovered Fangoria's magazines, I was a kid in the adult section of the bookshop. Since 1979, Fangoria has been the authority in the world of contemporary horror. What started as a print media company has since become a one-stop shop for horror merch and now a production studio. For being a Your Horror listener, you can stock up on your horror needs or start your magazine subscription with code YourHorrorPodcast or by clicking the link in the show notes below. Get 20% off store-wide with code YourHorrorPodcast. Now back to the episode. Right. Uh, part of you is like, yeah, get him, you know, he is the bad guy. But also it's like, going a bit too far. Is, is there not a better way 
deal with well, your I, issues I mean, than murdering people. Yeah, I mean, it is a horror film, though. And, you know, you're allowed to suspend that disbelief and root for the villain, I'm sure, for how many years. We've mm-hmm. all rooted for a villain more than once, you know. And my problem with that was the fact that when she was uh, chasing down Kevin Bacon at the end and he was in danger, we were getting, like, sinister horror music, like... Wait, are we supposed to be worried for him? Like, what are you trying to do here? You know, when I, I felt like kind of like I, I was there, like when she was listing off all of her reasons as to why she was doing this, I was like, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely get him, you know? <laughs> but then it's like the music's like, oh, wait, hang on. That, that kind of makes yeah. it sound like we should be worried here. You know, it's like, no, we, we all want him to die. I mean, I don't think there's any moral questions here. Just kill him. Then. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Gordon, who is in many ways the main character, yeah. chooses not to choose yeah. violence. Yeah. And that was my biggest problem. I I, I think um, it's almost kind of like the similar question or the similar conversation to like Sleepaway Camp and making the queer character in Sleepaway Camp the homicidal maniac. Um, but I do think the difference... There's like there is a difference between um, Sleepaway Camp and a movie like this, where it's I think both are both are like revenge plots, and I think that's why I was rooting for Molly, and that's why I was so upset that Jordan chose this righteous path of like we're gonna rewrite history, and I'm like I'm I love that for you. I'm so glad that you really want to be the change that you want to see, but I mean who's to say that he won't get away you know who's to say that like he won't get away with his crimes and then he'll just reopen another camp like and molly has been through so much trauma in her life can she should she really go to prison like so there was just i that's that was one of my dislikes which i kind of skipped ahead to say that but that was one of my dislikes was that that jordan just kind of like took over the reins and didn't do what I would have done in that situation. It felt like the film was very scared to offend anyone and treaded very lightly in all directions. You know, I understand that it's bad, this conversion therapy, but we're not going to make it, you know, a grand evil within the film which they could have done i mean you know the the whole idea of conversion therapy is terrifying and horrible in itself you know a horror film can be made out of that so the fact that they added in the slasher elements and decided to do so little with them it kind of made those parts feel forced and then like you said because they were so afraid to offend anyone within the film so you know Mm -hmm. they've got backups either way for the bad reviews it, it kind of lessens that. It, it it really brings down that ending a lot. And it really it just had me feeling so conflicted on who I was supposed to be rooting for here. Whereas, I mean, realistically, I wish Jordan did side with, uh, with Molly. And I wish they did go around conversion therapy camps, killing all the owners of them. I want to see that in the sequels, you know? That's what I want to see. I know it would have made it so much more worthwhile and now i mean we're probably not gonna get a they slash them too but like we could have um and i think you worded it really really well in terms of it did feel like it was kind of teetering 
on this line of like we want like we want to represent this correctly and we want to we want to offer this to this community but you know always being afraid of the backlash of the the people on the other side and i think that's something that if you're going to make a movie or or tell a story about conversion camp or or any other sort of marginalized story underrepresented story you you kind of have to overlook the the fact that you are going to get backlash for it no matter what and and the fact that you are willing to make a story like this but you're not willing to face that backlash it almost to me feels maybe this is a little too harsh but it feels like a slap in the face like it's just it's very um it's sad to think that like of course the queer community the queer community goes through so much on a day-to-day basis but you can't handle some backlash you're afraid of of the hate that you would get for telling a a true represented story you have kevin bacon when he's introducing himself he it's almost as if well i love god but i'm not going to keep going on about him god's out the picture so it felt Mm -hmm. like the the filmmakers were saying well we're not going to inherently make this film about Mm. christianity yeah when you know we all know that these conversion camps are christian conversion camps from from everything that i've seen it's all from Mm -hmm. a christian viewpoint so for kevin bacon to say well we're gonna take god out of this and then you have a character like cora who is seen as you know she's very mean and very cruel very rude and she's very much Mm-hmm. Um, a Christian woman, yeah, and her hatred stems from that. You know, why can't the filmmakers just make her the main antagonist mm. of the film? Why can't she? Why can't this uber Christianity be the antagonist yeah. and the reason why this camp is so awful mm. and terrible? It's Kevin Bacon who is kind mm-hmm. of he loves he loves a bit of Christianity he loves a bit of God but he's not going to go on about mm. it because that would offend people. Yeah, I think that's one way that um, this movie subverted my expectations, and I mean it did that in a lot of ways. I think that mm, is something that it did well in is you know kind of like taking you one way and then just completely turning the narrative on its head and so you know when he does introduce himself and he positions that this camp is to be different from your regular homophobic conversion camps it's like how much different can it really be and it took this it took this kind of like um it it was unlike what people had seen of conversion camps or or people's ideas of what conversion camps are and it it very remind it reminded me of people who try to say which he even said in his introduction like you know if that's your choice like like power to you but there's always that underlying kind of like tone of i can feel like i'm being tolerated but i'm not being accepted and I, that's how his introduction read. And then, but you knew that there was something sinister coming because at the end of the day, the whole point here, though he said he didn't want to turn them straight, 
that's the whole point of the conversion camp. Like, I suppose my reference point is, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. When it comes to the, so maybe it's a little skewed because obviously that is a very, it's a comedy, a, a black comedy, but that's how I see these conversion camps. Yeah. Sort of not a, yeah. I can't make you straight. It's like we're going to make you mm. straight. You know, we parents have paid us good money to make you straight, so you can be uh, upstanding citizens when you return home. And so it just confused mm-hmm. me a little bit the, the Kevin Bacon character. And it, it it did make me cackle when it was the first thing he said. Yeah. Like, I can't make you sure. Like, what happened to hello? How are you? Why, why is this the first thing you say? The one to get uh, there's, there's another movie, um, but I'm a cheerleader, yeah, because it's it's a comedy and it's just so, so campy. Like, I know it's not supposed to be a comfort warm movie by any means, but like, it still very much is for me. I watch it and I just get like this fuzzy feeling inside. But another kind of conversion camp movie that I've recently watched is The Miseducation of Cameron Post. I think that's what it's called with Chloe Grace Moretz. And the entire tone of the movie, that, and then there's another one with um, Natalia Dyer or Natalie Dyer who's in Stranger Things. Um, hers is called Yes God. And so both, tones of those films and those camps are very um forceful and and like like helicoptery you know they're always constantly going through people's stuff they don't want you to have cell phones so if they find you with the cell phone they'll confiscate it um you don't have any privacy you you don't you don't have your your space to roam and to to like it's not like a, a camp where you could roam free and go about doing activities and arts and crafts and stuff like that. No, like you have eyes on you at all times. And it's most of those movies are very depressing when you, when you take that and then you look at a movie like they slash them and the introduction of the movie, when they get off the bus, like the bus is pulling up and they get off the bus. It is unlike any summer camp movie you may see. You can tell this tone is going to be a little dreadful. And then Kevin Bacon comes in and is like, all right, folks, this is not like what you think it's going to be like. This is like, you know, we accept you. God loves you. And you can even see on Jordan's face. They're like, um, okay. And the fact that Kevin Bacon, when Jordan is like, I can't go like I'm or not that I can't go to the boys or girls cabin, but like I'm non-binary. So I do you have an all gender, you know, inclusive cabin and Kevin's like no but I'll you know I'll let you go where you feel like you should be and Jordan's like um okay and so making this feel like a safe space and Kevin even says it he's like this is a safe space by making it feel like a safe space and throwing everyone off their guard thinking that it's going to be something like we see in the miseducation of Cameron Post that's only used to manipulate them and to get them to drop their guards so that it's easier to then do what they did to that football player later yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I thought, yeah, I, it just confused me as to why, why they would do that in a horror film. I think, I think for me, because it's horror, maybe I was expecting 
be more horrific yeah. or more of a horror film. I just I felt like something was missing in that sense. But also because when the tone does change and you realise it is every other con- conversion therapy camp, <laughs> um, by the time you realise that, it's like nothing has passed. It's like it just happens. It just you know, there's no sort of build up to it being like that. You know, by the time you know it, they're doing the shooting scene and it's very clear that Kevin Bacon is like all the other conversion mm-hmm. therapy camp guys, you know. Um, again, which falls into the terrible execution. Of yeah. Because um, if you had like a slow build, if maybe they put some more trust in him and spent a little more time on that side of things, then it would be, you know, more shocking when it changes. Um, but the thing is, we all knew where it was going, even when that happened. It's like, okay, the sound doesn't feel right now, but we know where this is going, and it doesn't take too long to get there. Mm-hmm. And I I think because of that, the opening scene almost seemed like a crutch. It's like, I mean, it, it's a classic, like, horror, um, horror move to do. You have the opening scene of a kill, and you're like, oh, no, okay, danger's coming. But I feel like... It it introduced horror where before like there was really any horror there. Does that make sense? Like it no, never no, really yeah. connected with the narrative either. At least for me, I didn't. I don't know who that woman was that Molly killed. No. I and it's so and so then it's like okay, so you're killing these people who contributed to your trauma as a child. How does this woman? connect to all of that and so before you even know where the movie is leading you still have that in your mind like what was the point of that and so I feel like it was really just as a as a safety net of like just to remind you this is horror and then you get into the introduction of the camp and you get to know all these people and there's still no real horror aspect per se and they're like okay you had the horror in the beginning where is it we're (laughs) we're 45 minutes in where is it yeah, and that scene is so dark as well, to the point that even if you were supposed to recognize that character later on, you wouldn't know because the cinematography is so bad, like, you can't see a thing. And it was all done for a oh, moment yeah. later on. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, now that makes sense. Slash, I completely forgot that that even <laughs> happened. And you had to... <laughs> Jig my memory and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> that did happen in the beginning. Definitely, and I mean, I thought because I was watching it during the day, so I thought it was just me watching the the movie during the day, and that was why I couldn't see it. So the fact that it really is just that dark is another problem. Just another problem with this with this movie. I also think Jordan speaks to the fact that their suspicions are raised about everything going on at the camp because they feel like it would it would feel more right if there was more bible thumping and queer bashing instead of this hippie holistic thing and i i do think that that adds to the suspense of the movie a little bit when you are expecting more horror and it's not there and you feel like there's something that's going to be coming like something absolutely awful and all hell is going to break loose and but it really doesn't i feel like that that build up was just not there um so i think that that's that's one way that it kind of that kind of 
fell for me. But Gabriel kind of acting as this psyop in a way of this like playing for the other team. How did you all feel about that? That I definitely didn't see coming. It, it was definitely yeah. Um, yeah. unpredictable. I will say that. Um, but also it kind of, I don't know if anyone else thought this, but the scene where he uh, was with his, his, it was his mother, wasn't it? The old lady that he is with in that scene where she's doing a knitting. Oh, and... Carrie Preston. Yeah. I think. Yes. It I kind wasn't of, sure. Yeah. 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 It, it kind of felt to me like that was trying to rip off Get Out. Like, you know, mm. the girlfriend and get out when she changes it and you see her on the bed like just acting normal about this whole situation it kind of felt like it was directly taken from that and it just kind of felt like because it's obviously still fairly new i felt like i don't know it just felt a little cheap to me. that's that's what i took from i was confused by the idea that they had to have somebody within the camp as a, a decoy of sorts someone to, to, to lure them in to have sex with him mm-hmm. and then that created the, uh, the conversion scene um, I did feel that was a bit forced because yeah. like you were you were saying earlier about the, the sort of other films about conversion camps where they're, they're not allowed to have any privacy I mm-hmm. felt like a lot of the campus had a lot of privacy yeah. and yeah the scene by the lake where um, the uh, I can't remember their names I'm terrible with names in films but they have sex by the lake yeah why mm-hmm. can't see why can yeah. that be the catalyst for that moment where they're caught and because they're caught then they're converted and they they're the ones strapped into the chair to convert them like why mm-hmm. why did we have to have the, the sort of convoluted you know, spy in the camp scenario when that time could have been spent on developing your characters and allowing us to get to know the characters on a deeper level than what you're giving. It just, it felt a bit cheap, Mm. a bit over, over written, I I thought. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt the scene itself was interesting to a certain degree because Gabriel, um, who what was the name of the, the jock the jock um said to gabriel that he looked like a woman and mm. that's why he wouldn't be interested in him uh, mm. and then he took his shirt off and he had rock hard abs and suddenly <laughs> he's now masculine yeah. and they're both with their rock hard abs making out mm-hmm. in the and i just thought oh i just i let out a sigh i was just like oh, okay and I, I felt like it played into a lot of stereotypes and the conversion scene itself, the idea of him only being attracted to muscly men in their underwear yeah. and they mm-hmm. wanted to convert him into being interested in skinny women in their underwear, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. it felt a bit like, oh, okay, are we not past this? And right. The- the fiance when they're having sex and he's only, <laughs> only has sex when he's looking at a picture of a muscly guy yeah. in his underwear because 
Lord forbid we get a bit of um, nudity in the film as well. It's <laughs> it just uh, maybe I'm overthinking things, but to me, yeah. it really felt off the idea that the inherently the only attractive people the for them to be converted is white, muscly, skinny men and women. I just thought a bit more thought could have been put into yeah. that. Yeah, it, it all felt very surface level for sure. Um, I think in the lake scene and also in the shower scene with Alexandra, I think they were trying to play on those classic summer slasher tropes of like, someone's in the shower and then they get they get killed while they're taking a shower two kids are having sex in the woods or the the lake and then they get caught and they get killed um and so i think by having gabriel and the jock um you know like be caught in a sense but you and you think that they're going to die because kids in summer slashers die because they have sex then it kind of turns it on its head and you're like oh so what is happening what is going on um but i do think that once gabriel is revealed to kind of be working with the camp things do start to feel very weird like because then you start to wonder are they okay with gabriel being gay because obviously they're using it to their advantage had they tried to convert him are like it it brings up more questions than already were existing and you don't really get those those questions like tied up in the end so i i do agree with you know what you're saying on how how surface level it felt and how um i think it only further complicated the story if anything and i i feel like summer slashers at the end of the day are not complicated they are very formulated and you can do what you want to try to subvert expectations and make it your own thing but it seems like in the end they didn't really try to do that if anything they just kind of like diluted it even further and and that was that that was that was the point where I said, okay, I don't think I like this anymore. I don't think I really want to continue watching this. I think for me, the, a disappointment was the idea that the campers were never actually in danger. Yeah. From the slasher, mm. so the whole slasher element felt forced. Yeah. Because the who we thought were going to be the victims were never going to be the victims. So they were never in danger. And to me, that was a bit of a disappointment because I'd rather it would have tackled something like that head on and have Mm -hmm. me, you know, it's my personal preference, but have these campers targeted because they are LGBTQ plus and deal with that Mm -hmm. and make us care about these characters and have them in danger. Because I personally will never rewatch this film because the tension's completely gone. There's no, I know now that those campers were never in danger from this slasher. Yes, they were in danger from the uh, the camp itself, but that 
that wasn't really the horror element. The horror element was the slasher going mm. around killing people. It was confusing. Mm -hmm. it was, I was very, very confused by what they were going for by the end. Yeah, and I think that, um, like, my thoughts, as it pertained to the title of the film before I watched it compared to after, I definitely thought that the title was alluding to the narrative being driven by the camp staff, as you were saying, hunting the campers. Um, the slasher, I think, I think I would have, I think I thought that it was going to be more so like team versus team in a way, you know, you had like all of the camp staff going after the campers and the campers coming all together, still having that sense of community and, you know, like kind of going to bat. Um, however, there was that revenge plot, which I, I liked. I just wish that it was, you know, executed better. And the fact that even with a, with a slasher of any kind, but summer slasher, like you have campers dying off one by one. One goes missing. People are like, oh my gosh, where is this person? More go missing. They're like, oh my gosh, why is everyone disappearing? And then they're found in this central location, their corpse all dead. And I think even doing that, and you know, with the camp staff, I would have liked it. I, I think having the campers be safe and on the opposite side of harm is a nice change, especially with the subject matter. But like, just completely avoiding the body count I, it's like, yeah, it's, this isn't horror at this point. This is a light thriller, if anything. With your expectations based on the title alone, did you, you thought that it was going to be um, the campers dying off and that's what you were, were wanting out of this movie? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did because I, I thought it could have told a better story. Yeah. What it was going for, and I thought that if that was the case, we could have got to know the characters better, and we could have really yeah. felt something when the horror occurred. Um, I I'm very much about sort of in horror getting to know characters. If you want me to feel something for these characters, and that that's I enjoy cheapo slasher films as much as the next person. But if you really want me to engage mm -hmm. with what the film is trying to say, then I'm going to need more character development. I'm going to need to know who these characters are, care about, mm -hmm. you know, their circumstances, care about the fact that they could potentially die at any given moment. And that was completely missing for yeah. me. And my expectation was that's what the film would be about. And Kevin Bacon would be this psychotic killer who took things way too far and he would get his comeuppance in the end. And, you know, not, not to sound like RuPaul, but the wheel has been invented. The wheel exists. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just throw some glitter on it and make it entertaining. Yeah. And mm -hmm. try and say something from that basis. And it relied, like you were saying, Avery, you know, it was relying heavily on horror tropes. Um, this scene yeah. with Alexandra in the shower is, you know, tried and tested. You know, the slasher victim in the shower, it's Janet Lee, it's Psycho, it's every single slasher mm -hmm. film we've ever watched. Yeah. And it felt 
kind of cheap that that was the sort of moment where it's revealed that Alexandra is trans and you're playing on horror tropes for this which mm. would be a very you know highly uncomfortable moment for Alexandra as a character um a, you know a really upsetting one for Alexandra as a character as well and you're playing it off almost as if it's a, a pun on horror tropes and almost a mm -hmm. joke and it kind of that kind of happens and then you get the, the sort of um moment after where everyone is sticking up for Alexandra and that's lovely but I wish that those kind of moments were more developed so we could really understand what that meant to Alexandra as a character rather than it just be a throwaway oh she's gonna get it she's in the yeah. shower this is her death scene and it never happened yeah and so as we wrap up here um did you have any other likes dislikes um opinions anything else that you feel like someone who has yet to watch this movie or has watched this movie needs to know or needs to think about in terms of their opinions on the movie yeah i mean i've, I've got two likes uh the lgbtq plus cast just being included regardless of what the performance is like i think that is groundbreaking it was just used in the wrong film Fortunately, but it is great to see that there and you know moments of community with new characters uh, my second like would be Kevin Bacon's unhinged performance that changes up every now and then but it kind of adds a little bit of entertainment value when everything else isn't so entertaining um, but dislikes I mean it's mostly everything else it's just uh, you know like I said it's not so much I hate the film, it's more that I'm frustrated with it because it could have been something so much better. Yeah, the cause are coming from inside yeah. the house. The, the, you had a premise there and you had yeah. the elements to make a great slasher film and I think it just got bogged down in itself and overdid it. And um, I, My like was the title. I actually think that's a great mm. title. I love a pun. Um, in the title, right. um, they slash them. I mean, yeah, it made me chuckle. It, it does exactly what it needs to do. It's interesting, intriguing. What I disliked was the puns in the film itself because they were <laughs> constant. Mm. All these sort of gender-based puns it got, cr uh, got really cringy by the end. Yeah. It's sort of everyone's like first you know you go girlfriend when speaking to a male character who's got some fucking balls you know i just found all mm -hmm. these gender-based puns they were relentless yeah and it just it got a bit tired by the end but i also i like the intentions and i, I do feel, I feel very harsh right now <laughs> but you know valid critiques that we're bringing up but i do feel like the heart was in the right place Kevin Bacon, he tried his best as well. You know, he's an accomplished, they're all accomplished actors and actresses, and they all give it their best shot. And yeah, it, it just it fell flat. It just, you know, we all we all try and fail from time to time. <laughs> but, you know, 
at least we tried. <laughs> right, right. And I, um, adding on to your point about, to both of your point about um, um, the representation of the cast. And also, there was, there were several moments in the movie that I feel like, aside from the cast, the characters themselves, while yes, they often lacked depth, there was, there were moments that I feel you had this depiction of a plethora of queer people and how some aren't as knowledgeable as others. Some don't understand other experiences and, and labels and identities. And so like Kim, the blonde, um, the blonde girl, she doesn't understand pronouns and trans people. And it, like, it shows that for her specifically, she talks about how her, she's from straight suburbia where everyone dresses the same and looks the same. And I think that goes to show that your environment can shape your knowledge or the lack of. And also when they're in like the homemaking class and Kim is making the pie and the, I think her, is her name Cora? The, um, the one who's like married to, to the really buff, like athletic man. <laughs> um, she's like, wow, you're really good at this. And Kim is like, yeah, I bake with my mom. And it's like, just because she's a lesbian doesn't mean she can't bake. Like, so it was like, I think there were certain conversations that had they been expanded on, they would have been very good, but they were just moments instead that, you know, if you weren't looking for it, if you if it wasn't something like on your mind, you could have missed. So perhaps that's something that I didn't like was there was a lack of expansion on a lot of things as we've already discussed. Um, but I also, I said it a little bit before, Jordan's delivery, well, Theo who plays Jordan, their delivery on their lines really bugged me the entire time. There, I mean, and this is to speak not on their acting abilities, but when lines for me personally, when lines are too pronounced, it comes across as unrealistic. Um, and it was like every syllable, every T was like, every T was crossed and pronounced. And that just does not come across as realistic to me. And so as I'm watching it, I'm like, Ugh. okay, it takes me out of the story every single time. Um, and so that was, that was my main problem. Well, not my main, but that was a big problem. Um, and you know, we've already kind of talked about a lot of my personal dislikes, especially Jordan being too righteous and trying to save the day. And I don't know, I would have liked to see, I would have liked to see them go on their conversion camp tour. Um, I think it would have been, it would have been a nice touch to a franchise. <laughs> uh, so now, as after we've discussed it, um, what was your official rating of this movie and your recommendation if you were to recommend it? Uh, so I would give it a one out of five myself, uh, with one rating being for the cast and the intentions and the title. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I'd recommend. I'd like to say I'd recommend supporting a film like this, but I feel like there are other films out there that now, anyway, that perhaps do something similar, but do it on a better level. Uh, I mean, there's so much queer horror out there, you know, when you did last year as well, so, you know, stuff like Hypochondriac, uh, Husera, 
bodies 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 you know there's a lot of great queer horror out there to go and check out so i wouldn't put this at the top of your priority list but i mean maybe for a one-time watch yeah i'm i'm conflicted i gave it one out of five as well um and the, the one star was for an intent um my confliction comes from the idea not the idea uh but from the fact that i want to support these kind of films i want to support queer filmmakers queer actors you know i i want to see that support um but <laughs> You know, and I always say everyone should be entitled to make a dud. Yeah. As long as they're given the chance to make a dud, mm -hmm. you know, it shouldn't just be the big box office duds that get all the attention. Um, maybe give it a go <laughs> if you're into it. Or <laughs> press play, put it on mute and go about your day so they see That's the fair. But you don't have to put yourself through it. <laughs> It was it was quite dull as well as yeah. uh, confusing. I think it makes for a really good movie to watch with friends, um, especially if you like to laugh at movies that aren't intended to be laughed at. Laughed at, but you're still able to find the humor in it. It makes for a great group watch. Um, I I'm a little lenient when it comes to movies. That's my that's my toxic trait as a movie watcher. So I gave it a two and a half star out of five compared to your old one star out of five but i had to i had to double check it just now um because i couldn't even remember what i rated it but in my like review on letterboxd i had said i can look past the cheesy dialogue the subpar acting and everything above for the representation it offers so I think that was my main thing was I was like, oh my gosh, all this representation. Great. And I just moved along my day. Um, so I, I definitely, I recommend people to watch, even if I hate a movie, hate a book, I say give it a try anyways, because everything is just always subjective. Um, and I do think because of the representation that is within this, and a lot of the actors in there seem to be actors in the early stages of their careers as well and so it could be a great way to expose you to queer actors who you know might be on the brink of being in the next big project um and so i say watch it for that for that if anything um if you're looking for a fun movie watch it if you're looking for a serious queer horror movie don't <laughs> um and and have fun with it you know i think what ruins a lot of a lot of horror movies or like experiences watching horror movies is that sometimes they're taken more serious than they need to um people go in there with serious expectations and they come out and they just don't like it and so this is a this is definitely a movie lower your expectations if you want to enjoy it but yeah do you all have letterboxed yes Okay, so will would you uh, share your letterbox with the audience, the listeners, so that they can find your horror reviews and other reviews? Absolutely, mine is Dead Eye Gaz ninety two. Uh, mine is Chris Barker eight two three, and uh, right. I I feel like I'm mis uh, advertising myself. I don't write reviews on letterbox. <laughs> 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 I do my ratings, and I've got some really cool lists. 
of recommendations, but I don't I don't do reviews on. I uh, do. On I do. There's plenty Gary, on Gary does. <laughs> And that's completely okay. I love being able to make lists on Letterboxd. It's one of my favorite features on there. And people are always looking for movie recommendations. It's one of the easiest ways to find movie recommendations is by just finding people you trust and looking at their movie lists. Um, I, quite frankly, never know how to shut up. I have too many opinions. So I do write sometimes very lengthy reviews. Um, but I will link both of your Letterboxd accounts in the show notes below so that they can easily click on them and find them as well as your podcast and your Instagram. Um, I also wanted to say we were talking about really good queer horror. I recently watched one that you all might like. It was kind of a surprise in terms of being a queer horror. I wasn't anticipating it to be, but I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's called Perpetrator and it's distributed by Shudder. And it has um, Alicia Silverstone in it. And it was really good. I don't think it's available yet. But whenever it does become available, you all should try to watch it. Because you you might like it. It's like, it is horror. It delves really deep into horror. Wow. <laughs> I'm not Definitely. Right Alicia Silverstone great. is one of our favorite actresses. Yeah. And she does very good. She plays this like macabre goth grant like aunt kind of figure and she's very elusive and kind of off-putting but she's she's kind of like an aunt that i would like to have because <laughs> in the end yeah she might be off-putting but she still cares and that's what matters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well, thank you so much, Chris and Gary, for uh, coming on to my show. I'm so glad that we finally got to sit down and talk about some queer horror. And I'm glad that my listeners were able to to hear about your all's thoughts. I hope you all, listeners, uh, do check out Chris and Gary's podcast, which will be linked in the show notes below because their discussions are so fun and their movies are so fun that they talk about. Um, and yeah, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. I do hope that we can do this sometime soon in the future. Absolutely, thank you definitely need you to come on our podcast. Oh, definitely well. open invite <laughs> to come on to our podcast. Heck yeah. <laughs> right. Trash. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if it's a really trashy <laughs> film that you're dying to talk about, you are invitation oh my gosh I mean I can I can find a good trashy horror movie to talk about <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you all so much listeners for checking out this podcast episode and I hope to catch you next time bye in black cinema, Sister Soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.